Hi there. Um, welcome to the latest episode of Bound in Context. I'm your host, Ryan Shriver, CTO of Singlestone. And this is a series where we focus on problem solving. And normally I have um, engineers and architects and technologists, but today we have a bit of a twist. We have Noah Scalin, who joined us. Noah's an author, artist, and activist. Um, so welcome to the program, Noah. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Or well, cool. Can you tell here. our viewers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Through the screen. Can you <laughs> tell our normal, viewers yeah. all about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I'm an artist and I am a uh, creativity consultant. And okay. so I split my time between uh, making artwork uh, for myself as well as commissioned artwork and then teaching people in usually corporate settings about creativity in context of innovation. Well, cool. Well, let me, you know, how do you kind of get going? You know, so this is sort of focused on holistic problem solving. I'm sort of curious, you know, how do you get going? Does a customer bring a challenge to you or do you find inspiration? But how do you go about to know a scale and sort of way of going about solving sort of problems? That, that's what we want to crack at here. Sure. Well, I guess, I guess which, which track do you want to go down? You know, the sort of, and they're, they're actually yeah. directly related. So I, sh I guess I should yeah. clarify that that my work as a consultant is rooted entirely in my work as an artist. And so the skills that I've developed as an artist to solve problems rapidly, to come up with consistent mm -hmm. new solutions, that's the set of skills I'm teaching in the business context, whether it's in a corporation or a, a business school like the BCU business school where I teach yeah. as well. So, you know, when a client comes to us, if it's a corporate client, we're bringing them this set of tools and we're basically saying we need you to understand how what creativity is first of all why it's important and then how it is that you can develop your creative capacity as an individual and as an organization and so we're really coming to them with um, a set of behaviors a set of skills a set of practices uh, but what's really cool is that we're presenting it as something that's learnable rather than something that just is magical or that some people happen yeah. to have been born with uh, but really is something that if you can uh, practice it like any tool that you you practice and get better at that you can really improve your experience uh, and it's really it's a holistic in the sense that really it affects people's lives as well as their work experience and, and that together really makes some massive transformation and so tell me some stories tell me a bit about that transformation so these are some of your corporate clients or some of your students perhaps i know you're, you're a teacher at vcu yeah well so what happens is, is that we're introducing this concept of concepts this language and then we're really having people go off and practice it and so we have a product we call the creative sprint and if anybody's familiar of course with design sprints with the, from design thinking but yeah. but anybody really involved with agile lean all this methodology that people know about especially around uh, product development what we're really doing is providing the 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 thing that helps that work better. And so what we ask people to do is go off and practice this set of skills uh, in a daily th uh, daily way. So it might be a 30 day challenge or 100 whole year, whatever it is that works best. But what we found is that when people begin to practice these little things, their little changes uh, about practicing your creative uh, behaviors uh, mm -hmm. daily, it, it changes the way your brain works. You know, we understand about neuroplasticity and we understand the idea that we're creating these new pathways. And so doing this, what can seem very random I, just to be clear like when we practice yeah. this stuff with people we're saying you know make something using whatever objects are around you and we mean physically make a thing and it's not like your job we're not asking you to make a widget yeah. like you make we're asking you to make a face or whatever and when you make this thing with your hands in, with your stuff you start seeing the things around you differently and if you do it enough we, we always compare it to going to the gym if you you go to the gym one day you're not going to like it it's going to yeah. be a terrible experience it's that it hurts you don't want to go back but if you keep going enough, you start to see changes and you go, oh, wait, I like these changes. I'm going to keep doing that. And so you have to get people over that hump. And so once people do this little practice of creativity in their, their workspace or in their lives, they see 
change is happening. And so, yeah, we've worked with individuals and organizations who've committed to making these practices a habit, and we've seen unbelievable stuff uh, in, on an individual level, people developing new projects they never could have imagined that sprout out of it and turn into entire careers for them. Um, but on the sort of even a simpler level, it just allows them to better connect with their community, with their teammates. Uh, there was a guy who had done one of my sessions, and I guess to give some context to people who don't know me or my work, um, I did a project called Skull a Day, where I made a piece of skull art every day for a year. And I share that story frequently when I'm teaching. People love hearing about that. And what they do is is they they, they get excited to try a similar thing. And so a guy that, I, that was at one of our sessions did a, a year of making bicycle images. And his job was completely unrelated to bicycles, uh, worked in the oil and gas industry, I believe. And he basically did this daily, which meant that everybody around him started to get wrapped up in this process, right? So now he's basically, uh, his friends are helping him, his coworkers are helping him, everyone's asking him, what are you gonna do today? And that energy created all this opportunity in terms of his workspace and created um, you know, a real cohesion uh, with his team, but also reached, created a better connection to the people outside of his team. Because a lot of the big organizations we work with are very siloed, you know, by, by the time they've gotten to their, you know, these are Fortune 100 companies, they're massive and they're scaled to yeah. the point where you only deal with this segment, right? And a lot of them, I know people that you talk to, like, they're only doing their one job and that, and they do it well, and they only talk to people who do that one job. And so <laughs> what happens is that that's good for some stuff, but it's really not good for innovation. And so by crossing, you know, all these silos and having people starting to connect because of these projects that are very unusual, it allows for that really interesting new stuff to happen. And so that's what we see a lot of times is people saying, gee, you know, I work, we worked with a school where, where one of the employees said, I, I partnered with the principal because I wanted to, um, I needed, I wanted, you know, get that support to keep doing this. And now we have a daily conversation that's created all this opportunity for me. And that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Oh, wow. So, so you mentioned the daily exercise of sort of creating something and making something. Are there other skills that you teach? Um, is that the primary one or what are maybe some of the other skills that you teach? And are they all on daily cadence? Is, is the daily piece sort of in your mind kind of a key to making this stick? I think the, the daily piece. So we have a we have a model that we basically it's very straightforward, but it's and it will be familiar, but slightly different. But it basically starts with doing something and then reflecting and sharing and then assessing and applying. And so the daily model is helpful because it's a loop and we want you to do it regularly. Yeah. But the key really is, is taking action first, which is very unusual, especially even in design thinking, right? You, you do your research, you gather all uh, your data, yeah. you know, you get your, <laughs> get your constituents and you find out all the information. And that's great for a very specific design process. But what yeah. we're trying to do is have your personal skills change. And so this process is about like trying things, doing experiments, then reflection and sharing is, is super important to our process. So really this idea of taking the time after you've done something, not to run to the next thing, but to yeah. really think about well, what, what came out of that? Because even if it's a, a failure in the sense that you're like, that didn't result in something I liked or was happy with or did what I wanted to do, there's learning there if you take the time to pay attention to that. And so we yeah. have people reflect in writing, which is really key. Then we have those people share it. And that's also really key that our process about doing things, reflecting on them and sharing them, because when you share things, then you're getting that additional ability to get information really quickly back about, well, you know, I didn't think it was good, but somebody else was surprised or learned something or gave you, gives you an opportunity for collaboration that you wouldn't have had if you waited to completed a long process and developed the whole thing and said, ta-da, here it is, right? And yeah. again, that rapid iteration prototyping process is familiar, but we're applying it to just the skill of creativity rather That's than to a specific product being developed. 
That's a very, very interesting because you're right. A lot of the terms that you talk about are very familiar to me. I teach design thinking, but you're right. Sometimes people get in sort of wrapped in the analysis paralysis. I love this sort of bias. It sounds like this bias for action is sort of yeah. the, the first thing you do. Like just have an action. It can Jump be a small step, right, right? And it's scary, but it gives you something to reflect off of and it gives you opportunity to uh, really you know, ha have two, well, two things. One is that you immediately have something that you can respond to and other people can respond to. It's not in your head. And two, you're using, when we say make things, we mean physically make it with your hands because we do so much up here and we do so much on the screen, so much typing. Uh, it's a really, uh, we've kind of let that part of ourselves atrophy. And when okay. you switch to the physical, even just drawing a sketch with a pen, what happens like a little thumbnail, you don't have to be able to draw, uh, but is is it's different. It's not the same. And if you've experienced it, you know, like it is a completely yeah. weird thing to go, well, but it, it should be the same, but it's not when you have it translate through your physical body. So one of the things we teach as well is drawing and, and aspects of drawing. So I did, did uh, several sessions of drawing in my last uh, school business class. And it seems so weird, like why would, you know, if you're yeah. studying to be, international studies major and you're going to be you know, doing some whatever financial, why would you need drawing skills? But the fact is it's about how you perceive the world and how you interpret it and how you share it with other people. And that's super important. Yeah, it's interesting because we just taught design thinking class virtually now. That's how things go, right? And so we, we, we teach napkin sketching and that's often the hardest part. I work with a lot of sort of corporations and people are scared, like oh, they're embarrassed about their sort of skills, right? So we said, okay, let's just do a new napkin sketch and sort of flush that out. And oftentimes, they're like, oh my gosh, but you're right. I mean, it, once they get over that bit of, uh, I can draw, I'm not gonna critique it. It's such a nice way to sort of open it up. And, and in my world, you know, people wanna build systems and building systems is the most expensive way to sort of solve problems. So a lot of right. times it, we, we teach things is, we'll draw and sketch first and explore these ideas and the simple, because you know, you can rip them up and change them and do those sort of things. But by the time you sort of commit to, okay, I'm gonna write code and do all this, that's a long, expensive sort of process. And so, yeah. You know, you don't want to go down that path if you haven't explored lots of different ideas early. And that's often different for organizations, right? Who, who, who like, I have a due date and I want to get sort of things done and don't have time to meddle around. Tell me what you want to do and let's just get on with the sort of building of it. How do you connect that individual? So you get to go to organizations and leadership. How do you connect those individual practices to helping them understand that, listen, this, create, this creative skills we're building is going to help not only you personally, but you as an organization be more like, how do you cross that sort of convincing path? Um, yeah. That, yeah, we all bring in a no end team in because I, I agree, like if we do these small things, we're going to be a, you know, a more innovative organization. Talk me through that. Right. Well, and so it's interesting because I think, you know, design thinking we've been talking a bit about because it's been really well embraced, I think. And so I, early on, you would have had to fight to explain why you would bring this crazy design thinking in, and yeah. now it's accepted and now it's something that people want to do and they've read the books. And so we're sort of having the same moment now with this other piece, which, you know, I guess you could vaguely call art thinking. I don't think that's the right oh, term for it, but, you know, it's sort of like bringing the art mindset, art school mindset into the, you know, business setting. But it's yeah. really the same thing, which is that, you know, I have a, a talk that I've done many times called uh, the ROI of creativity. And the reason I do that is because I kept getting asked, like, why do this? What's the importance of this? Why would you, how do you, uh, what are the numbers? What, you know, tell me some KPI here, you know, and they're like, ah, oh, this is <laughs> not, right. This is, and so what I have to do in this talk and what I frequently do in, in most of our engagements is really help people understand some language and some definitions around this, but really get to the sense where we aren't having this discussion about like, you should, you should value creativity. Like it's, it's essential to your survival. Uh, it was before COVID-19, but it is, it is 
so much more now, exponentially more now. And so for people to just get to the point where they understand why we would even have this be prioritized so that then we can move forward with like, let me show you how you get that set of skills um, into yourself and how that then transforms your organization. So, you know, a lot of our work is often with leadership and just getting people to sort of get their head around what this idea is so that then they can move forward into how do we really, you know, organize this as, uh, as part of our company. But, you you know, it's a it's a much bigger picture than product development. It's really more like culture development. Yes. And I think that that's the other thing is that really we're talking about, you know, individual development, personal development and then organizational development. And really the way I often talk about it is sort of as this sort of if you imagine ideas or seeds and that the tangible results of those seeds, the stuff that grows are the innovations, that creativity is the soil that fertilizes, you know, that good, that good ground that you can put the seeds in and things will grow from. And so really we're about making more of that nice soil and the more of it you have, then the stuff you're trying to do resides on it. And so if you're here and you put up more soil, then your business is up here now. And so as you continue to do that, you get a nice line going up, which is what every business wants. So this idea is like, we're adding this stuff that allows you to do what you do better. But that's a lot harder to sort of say, here's a direct one-to-one correlation. I did this, I got 20% return on this. And so we want to move the conversation away from that because it honestly doesn't, um, doesn't serve you to try to do that with it. I mean, it's sort of like arguing, um, why do we need electricity in our organization? And it's like, well, why would I sit there and try to like tell you the numbers on that? We just know yeah. that without it, we're gonna be in trouble. Well, I can also think as you're talking about, in terms of attracting talent, like it's all it's, it's all a grab for talent, right? So so in, I have a choice between an organization that, that, that follows what you're doing and sort of one that is not, I mean, best talent's going to flow there, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Attract and retain, man. That That's what it's all about. So let me ask you, so you come from our background. How did you get into, who are your, some of your influences and how did you get to sort of this sort of, um, you know, the do kind of reflect um, um, sort of share model? Like how, how did you come about that? Yeah. It's interesting because I, you know, I, I studied um, art and, and creative stuff. I had creative jobs right out of uh, school. I started my own business doing um, graphic design and illustration. And so I was always in that field and never really in the business consulting world at all. And that came about uh, really um, because of a company that that was in Richmond called Play, which I'm sure you know, yeah. and uh, doesn't exist as Play anymore. It's called The Profit now. But uh, Andy Stefanovic, who ran started that company, ran it. Uh, it reached out to me. He saw me inter- installing a show actually at a gallery here in Richmond and was like, oh, I'm bringing my co- co- clients to see the gallery, but why don't you tell us about your show? And he heard what I had to say about my art, my process of creating the Skull of Day project and said, you should talk to all of my clients. And I was like, okay. And so at that point, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. He was con- he contextualized it and he made me see that there was this value in there that I had never, I just hadn't thought about it because I hadn't been in that business world. And so it helped me realize there was this massive disconnect between art and business that we have in our culture as well, where we tend to really deprioritize the arts, right? We, we sort of make that optional. We, we don't, if you don't show a, a talent for it when you're, you know, a, you know, an aptitude when you're young, then you're not, you're done with it. But we don't do that with reading and writing. We go, even if you don't like it and aren't good at it, you're going to still do this, right? Math, you don't like math? Sorry, you still got to take math class. You yeah. don't like history? So what? You got to learn it, right? But with art, we're like, eh. And so 
what I saw was that there was this massive divide between people like me who I, you know, I just never questioned or thought about it. My parents are art teachers and artists, so I just I assumed I'd be doing art. But the people that didn't do that, they they basically uh, that set of skills that they that they had were never grown. And and what we were seeing was that every business that I was introduced to was struggling with how they could deal with the rapid pace of change, how they could deal with new technologies being introduced, how they can now deal with, you know, a pandemic that caused everyone to rethink how their businesses were run. Yeah. And the skill set you need to solve that is actually what is taught to artists. We learned that in school. Like we learned about how to do problem solving in a very specific way that allowed us to be continuously uh, innovative, continually make work, continually have new ideas, continually rethink the things we see in our world and interpret them and create new things. And so it was it was a really remarkable discovery because really my skills come from that world of learning about that. I studied theater design. Uh, so I was, you know, learning about the great playwrights and how th people created theater with very little. And theater has always been a, um, a field that was a little behind technologically. And so it was always like making do with nothing, you know, like how do you put a show on, right? You know, 20 yeah. bucks and, you know, some pile of cardboard and, and you know, you're going to make costumes and, you're, you know, and we would do it. And so, and, and it was also a very um, direct correlation there in theater to this idea of having an audience. Um, so we always understood that an audience is a literal thing. So when we thought about things we were making, we also thought about how people were perceiving them and interacting with them because we had people sitting in chairs in front of our thing, right? Mm -hmm. For a lot of times that people are developing stuff, you have an audience in mind and you one day will somebody will interact, but you're not having that direct relationship of seeing those people staring back at what you're yeah. doing, you know? Yeah. And so, they're just really valuable things that we learned, uh, but I just didn't realize that that hadn't been uh, something that that the, the business world had understood or embraced. And so design thinking was developed right at the time that we were, I was developing my work around uh, creativity and innovation. And so it's interesting because they're parallel and there is a lot of overlap. And so I think more yeah. than anything, since that's a familiar thing, you can sort of we, you know say like, yes, this, but this is the piece about developing the person so yeah. that when you run these things, when you go, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do agile, we're gonna do lean, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna have this be a methodology we use that the people are ready to embrace that and get the most out of it and make the most uh, use of it, not just on a one time we've done this for this one product, but we're doing this organizationally, as you know, continuously. Yeah, no, it's interesting because design thinking. I came up from software to sort of the agile to lean design. It was sort of the last piece, but it's really to your point now. I mean, we're getting asked by clients to do it because it's become more in vogue. I mean, you know, the IDO sort of blazed the trail um, for a lot of us. But it is interesting how it's less around convincing people now, and it's yeah. more around they they want they want the goodness. Just sort of you know sort of sort of tell us how to do it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so I think what's happened though is that there's still it's very much, and I'm sure you know this, like. People want a linear process. They want A to B to C. Yeah. We get, you know, the, the result is at the end and we, ta-da, we did it. And so this kind of art thinking requires you to be a little more abstract and have things be a little more amorphous, but that's what allows the sort of interesting stuff to happen, to trust the process, to put that in place, but then let things, you know, give yourself some freedom within constraints. So we often, a lot yeah. of the work we're doing is about saying, let's, let's figure this skill set out so that you embrace this idea that you don't have to be perfect all the time, that you don't have to have, you know, 
all this freedom to be able to do creative work that that you know time limits are actually useful the the, the laws and rules that are out there the regulations that you're gonna have to deal with those are actually beneficial and useful if you learn to embrace them uh, yeah. collaboration is essential how do you get to that quicker um, so it's really learning some foundational stuff when we when we're working yeah. with people well it's interesting because terminology we use constraints in a really exact same way like you have to have constraints to push against and, and that's something that's some it's similar to what you're describing in sort of the art world but also technologically there's always constraints that you 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 run up against some are artificial and some are not but it is a, is a sort of an architect you have to figure out first what are my constraints i have to work with then and then which ones you know how much can i push on these but ultimately without constraints it's it's, it's impossible to solve these right you know and exactly. so part of part of the first thing you have to figure out is like what are the boundaries and then you know we a lot of times talk about which ones can you gently push against versus okay that's a real constraint versus which ones are sort of artificial like we have a policy that says oh yeah see like oh, is that a constraint or is that, is that is that not a constraint yeah so identifying those constraints right away right finding them and then as you're saying pushing off of them and i the way i always say is like find the openings they're there but put yeah, yourself yeah. towards them, like point yourself at the opening so that when you push off those constraints, you're going places, right? Instead of yeah. running into a wall and feeling frustrated or fighting a constraint and being burned out by it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I often think, you know, the term out of box thinking, it's a little passe now, but it was in vogue there for a while. And I often describe that. That's just imagining one constraint didn't exist, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. And sort of thinking about, well, I just took that one thing away you know, what might be possible. And there's times when that, that's really good because you can imagine the world without a constraint. Um, but it's, 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 it's sort of funny that, you know, in, in terms of this, we get this out of the box thinking, which is sort of, sort of, you know. Right, and I'm like, oh, you want to be in the box, but push yeah, off the wall. Exactly. Like, out of the box, there's no right. box, you got, you got nothing, you know. Yeah, so, so who have been some of your, so you came from a very different background. Who have been some of your influencers along the way? I mean, artists and others, I mean, have those been your primary influencers or have you, um, obviously picked up a little bit maybe on the IDEO stuff, but who else? Yeah, really, I think more artists, you know, um, Sister Karita Kent is a good example of, of uh, you know, an artist who is a teacher uh, who came up with these really great systems and rules about how to work and that really helped people sort of formulate a, a working methodology and working with limitations. She was doing silk screening. Um, I'm trying to think of another, uh, you know, right now I'm using Linda Berry's work a lot. She was okay. a cartoonist. Uh, people might be, people huh. might be familiar with like she did, you know, but she's a she's a great art teacher and I love her. She's put out now several books of uh, lesson plans and they're just so wacky but it is a wonderful way to teach drawing especially for people like you're saying who are scared of it because honestly for a lot of people we're interacting with the last time they drew sort of with any intention was like probably in in elementary school, elementary school yeah, yeah you know and so it's terrifying and so how do you get people over that there's a great book um, called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain that we use, that um, just a foundational book about how draw drawing works. And what I love, that's the book that really was like, you know, if we taught drawing the way we teach other subjects, or rather if we teach other subjects the way we teach drawing, um, we would just be letting people like go, eh, you don't like reading, no problem, right? And so those those kind of books that, that really show like, here's a systematic way of thinking about this stuff is super useful. Um, I wish my sister was on this podcast because she's yeah, the yeah, one yeah. I love to turn to. She reads. Uh, so my business partner is my sister. Yeah. And she reads, you know, all this, all the really heavy thinking stuff. Uh, and we're and I'm much more of the like, take action and do stuff. And then later go, oh, right, <laughs> people have done this before. I synthesized this, but I forgot that that's, you know, uh, a, a thing to do. Like, but Joseph Cornell is a good example of an artist who, you know, made all this art in boxes, literally. And so it's a great reference of like, you know, this guy who sort of had limited access to materials and space. He's like working, uh, you know, the little cigar boxes 
boxes and he would build things yeah. inside of it. And like all that stuff made this amazing world that, you know, he created uh, by doing that. But yeah, I came up in the design world. So people like, I'm just looking at myself, like people like Tibor Kalman, who really rethought how the design uh, world worked and thought about this idea of bringing ethics into design and sort of just taking things to a different place uh, was a big influence for me in that, in that part of my life. So, so one project in particular, so I was over at um, Tom Menzies a couple months back, I dropping off some chairs and I saw uh, your big installation uh, a, a sort of piece uh, there, Wake Don't Wake. And I was thinking about on the way in, like software engineers, we often design and build products or services. And we think in sort of designing that when, when you look at a piece like that, that, that produced that, do, do you think in terms of like, what's the mental process that goes about that ends up producing that, which is that's your output? Like, walk me through, like, how that came about and sort of the, the process you went through to sort of come to that. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I can talk about that piece specifically, but I think in general, you know, what's important with the way that I create work is that I'm kind of absorbing and I think we all do this, but we might whiten. We might not be conscious of it, which is that we're sort of, you know, whatever we're encountering, we're 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 taking that in. And it's going into our back brain, and then it sort of sits there, and we don't we're not conscious of it, and then things get spit forward. And so it's really our duty to get a lot more random stuff into our heads. Like if we're only talking to the same people, doing the same things, looking at the same blogs, whatever it is, if we're just doing the same stuff. Yeah. we're getting the same information and we're producing the same results. And so if we want to do other, we got to be have much broader uh, depth of, of information that we're bringing into ourselves. And so part of it is just sort of constantly consuming things in a wide uh, range, wide, you know, wide number of places. And then, you know, I work really well. We we're just talking about constraints. I work really well with, with limitations. So a deadline uh, and a topic uh, yeah. a material, you know, if I can get myself those walls, I do really well. And so a piece like, uh, the the so it's called control command that was a piece that was in uh, Times Square and so it was commissioned uh, there was a, a really strict deadline there was a very specific budget uh, it had to be you know big show up in Times Square right relate to the environment and then there was a topic which was fact and fiction and it had to do with uh, sort of the current moment in terms of media and politics and all this stuff and so like taking all those elements then I then I could start on a path of like okay based on these criteria what things are going to stand out to me how could I do this and and I actually was looking at the notes the other day for that project because I'm doing a little video about it which I'll share with you all when yeah. it's done but basically what I realized is is as I thought about this topic and thought about the location, I remembered a movie called They Live by John Carpenter. I don't know if you ever saw this movie. It's from the uh, 80s. Uh, but it's a, basically a sci-fi horror movie uh, about aliens who've taken over. Uh, but no one knows unless you put on these special glasses. And when you do, you see that they're aliens. And you uh, also see that all of the m stuff we consume is really propaganda. And it, it becomes a stark black and white uh, instead of the colorful stuff we see. And it just says, marry and reproduce, obey, uh, uh, stay asleep, uh, consume, you know, this stuff is being ta taught to us through this uh, media, you know, these, these things we're, we're uh, purchasing and seeing all day. And so I thought about that, you know, of course, that's Times Square, right? You're just being yeah. bombarded with messaging. And so how do we sort of respond to that? And one of the phrases was um, stay asleep. And so that got me thinking about like, well, you know, okay, wake up, right? Like, how do we wake up yeah. from this and pay attention to our world and see what's happening around us, right? How do we, how do, we do that? And so then somehow that word wake, and, and wake up in Times Square, I thought about the old walk signs and the walk don't walk yeah. signs. I mean, so like, you know, again, I'm just taking you through a little path of like the, yeah. the sort of ideas that lead to ideas that lead to ideas. And then it was like, okay, well, if I put one of those signs, it would be small and you'd never see it. What if I made a giant one? Okay, well, how would that work? Could I make it light up? And so then it was bringing a team together to, you know, once I had the idea, I drew a picture yeah. of it. 
And then I basically found the people that could who can build this, who can make this light up? How uh-huh. can I transport it to New York? How do I install it? And you know, that's something I'd never done before. Uh-huh. I, I, I basically just believed I could do it. I made uh-huh. it as best I could with the time limit and the money I had and 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 it happened. And it was a wild ride to be like, go from idea to to, to to inception, but it was a relatively short timeline and a relatively low budget. And I think both of those things helped because I had to make a lot of choices because of that, that allowed me to quickly get it done. Yeah. Right. And we did uh, prototyping with 3d printing to make little version. Oh, uh, we did, uh, you know, a lot of testing as we went along. Uh, we realized there was going to be some interesting, like my, my fabricator was like, you know, people might stand on this. What would happen if somebody stood on it? Because it's in yeah. times square and anything could happen. So, okay, let's make sure it's rigid in this way. Um, you know, it's got to be able to, to, to function with this, you know, power this way. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that piece is really interesting because it was so yeah. different from a lot of other things I've done, but it is exactly like everything else I've done in terms of like idea process, you know, creating something, uh, moving quickly through practice tests because there's only one time to get it right. Uh, then getting up to New York <laughs> and installing yeah. it. Um, but I think, you know, more indicative is the other work that I do right now is, is I work with a lot of uh, everyday and found materials. Uh, mm-hmm. So I work a lot with stickers, uh, clothing and all those pieces that, you know, what I love about them is that, that I'm choosing a singular medium uh, that is, that has its limits that allows me to then really focus in on how do I produce it. So if it's going to be this material, what are the limitations of an advantage of that material? What can I do with that and then develop the, the art from that set of limitations that I'm starting with? I got you. So, so your your material really is a bit of a constraint on on sort of um, sort of manufacturing the idea, if I, if I understand it. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, for instance, I made a bunch of things with clothing. Um, so yeah. I, for, I did a, a a big installation recently for Old Navy, and that was yeah. a clothing installation. Uh, it's anamorphic perspective, which is another set of limitations. But you know, basically, I had a time limit. I've got. 3000 pieces of clothing. I've got five days, I've got a studio and I want to, and we've decided on this image as my sort of goal is to create this image. Right. And so then it's really like, how do I solve this problem within this set of parameters? And that's at least how my brain works. I love to solve a problem. I love a challenge. I don't really like doing the same thing more than once. Uh, And if I'm going to do it more than once, I want it to be different enough that it's still interesting to figure out. And so with these kind of pieces, the clothing is different every time. So I've got to figure out what clothing I'm working with or with stickers. Uh, when I do images using stickers, I'm basically constraining myself to the fact that I don't have the normal palette, you know, as a painter would, um, I want red, but this red has some blue and some black and some green in it. So I'm going to have to figure out how to orient that so that it feels like it's still red. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, then I'm making decisions constantly as I'm making my art rather than sort of like, okay, it's all done once the concept is done. And now it's just a, boring technical process of plugging yeah, things yeah. in you know, sort of building, like, right? interesting the whole time for myself that's just how i like to work well nice so so you mentioned the the, the creativity of building things every day is there any other sort of you know for our viewers any other things they can take away or things they can be trying um to sort of start to build up those creative muscles um that you sort of described yeah, um, we actually have a little challenge. So as I said, the Creative Sprint, um, and and actually people are invited to try this out. If you go okay. to createbettertogether.com, um, it is just a, a sign-up link for a seven-day challenge. So basically, okay. we will give you seven big ideas about how creativity works, and we will give you seven little practices to try out. And really, I mean, honestly, I know it sounds like it's such a simple, reductive thing, but like ultimately, if you can learn this set of skills by doing them, 
you will have so much more ability to use them and to, to really truly understand them than if you read a book about it or if you uh, take a class about it. Like the action is, that's why we put do something at the top of our, of our diagram of like what to do. That is so essential uh, because it really is how people learn. Um, putting things into action, experiencing yourself, having those, uh, you know, successes and, and things that you might consider failures. And I always say it that way because really, we really don't think of them as failures. We really think of them as, as the stepping stones that give you, get you other places. And so yeah. when people look at my project, you know, I'll show people all the time pictures of, of images of things I've created and they're not seeing the ones that I wasn't as happy with, but like those yeah. ones aren't bad or not there because I know for a fact that I couldn't have gotten the good ones had I not done those other ones. The ones that I don't love are the ones that got me to the ones I love. And if you can't take those away and suddenly get there, there's no jumping from this point to this point, you have to do all the steps to get there. Uh, and, and so if you can learn to embrace the idea that those are just exper experiments and experiences and they're valuable and useful and not like this stuff we have to get rid of to do our important busy work that needs to get done and we've got these deadlines. But again, that comes back to the culture piece, right? If you're in an organization organization that doesn't prioritize your ability to practice and experiment and to, to gain that skill set, it's really unfair. You know, organizations often tell people we need you to be innovative, but they don't bother to give you any time practicing the skills you need yeah. to do that. Yes. And, and it's one of the, you know, I come from a software background again. One of the first things you know about any project is the due date, right? You know, it's due at that date. And often there's an intrinsic, we got to know our solution day one, because it's going to take the maximum amount of time to code it. Right. And so right. one of the things we have to unteach in sort of our design thinking is you have time to explore options and you have time to do prototyping and sketching. You can do a lot of that stuff too, and still nail the right idea and get it out on time. But it runs counter to sort of the, the project management sort of like, you know, software world which is, no, 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 we, we got to know what we're doing day one because it's a right. really hard challenge to sort of build. And that's part of the um, what we see is the unwinding, unwiring of the sort of the, the brain to know that, no, you have some time. Now, you want to time box it uh, probably, you know, but you have yeah. some time to explore the different options. And really, to your point, this idea builds on that idea. Rarely is it one person's idea. It's, it's really oh, yeah. a collaborative process where somebody tosses out this and I build on that. And then you end up with a much better thing, but it, it requires you to sort of slow down before you sort of speed up. And yeah. that's hard. No, I agree. Because like, people see it like, well, I just need the most amount of time for building this. Yeah. And I get that. But to your point exactly, what we found, so when we work with people, we'll have people iterate 30, 50, 100 ideas sometimes for... Wow. But these, again, these aren't ideas about your product. These are ideas about something else entirely. And it, that's what's important about what we do is it's it's adjacent, it's lateral thinking. We got to get you over here because if you do it over here, you're not thinking about your job and your paycheck and your specific yeah, outcome. Yeah. And your, that, you, you've got to do it somewhere else to get your brain ready to do your job. So if you do it over here, you can do it over here naturally. And it's just going to occur when you get back to your work and you look at the thing you're doing. And so when we have people do this really, this rapid iterating, very large amounts of ideas, things that feel impossible. Like we will have rooms full of people where they'll just be like, there's no way we can get it done in this time. And they always get it done. And when they do, we say, when did you have your innovation moment? When did you discover something new to combine things in a way you didn't expect, do something you just didn't even think you could do? Did it happen on, on the first idea, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth? No. Never does it happen on those first five. It almost consistently happens about the midpoint or the three quarter mark. No matter how many, 30, 50, 100, it's always happening in that spot, which means that you've got to get through those because honestly, everybody's had the same first five ideas about whatever you're doing. And so if you're picking idea one and then running with it, 
you're going to produce a product that by the time you produced it, somebody else has already brought it to market or yeah. it's already outmoded or it's already, it's not, it's, it's dumb. And people are like, oh no, why did you even bother? You know, but you're like, oh, we just have to get going. And so doing that work up front is going to save you so much down the line. And when you've done that, it often will lead to innovations that allow the process of producing it to go faster. And you're not going to be producing it and then delivering it. You're going to produce something and deliver it right away. This is design thing again, you know, yeah. you're, going to, you're going to show it here so that you can get feedback and fix and fix and fix and fix. So that by the time it's here, it's much better and you could keep fixing it beyond if you need to, because now you built a better product, you know, ultimately. Yeah. So all of that is it, so aligned with what you're doing anyway. And again, yeah. we're just sort of wanting you to have that individual skill set rather than only having it be um, developed around the product and sort of looking outward about it. So we're looking inward, I would yeah. say, about this same concept. Well, cool, man. I really enjoyed our conversation. Last question before we go. Who are you listening to these days, music-wise? Gosh. Oh, my gosh. I should have prepared better. Um, awesome. You know, I am so into uh, – it's it's horrible because I was such a music buyer, but I'm so into Spotify's um, playlist recommendations. So they yeah. have, like – they they their algorithm is amazing. Yeah. I, I yeah. almost consistently find one or two th new things that I just – I'm like, oh, this is great. And it's it's, like – yeah, like every every week, uh, I'm I'm such a big fan of of that's technology used in the right way. I was like, you guys introduced me to something new that I never would have heard otherwise. There was a group that I discovered through uh, Spotify called Prince Rama. Never would have heard of them had they not uh, yeah. shared. Uh, fell in love with them, saw them play, bought their albums. Um, there was a sisters, and they ended up doing separate things. So now the one of the sisters, Tarka, is on her own doing solo music, and I'm one of her Patreon supporters now. And nice. uh, I have. A direct connection with her like she was on my podcast i met her and so all this came because spotify's algorithm randomly spat out a thing that said i think you're gonna like okay. this and they were 100 percent right I use Spotify too. And it's funny, I've started to kind of try to reverse out, figure out their algorithms. Cause like, you know, yeah. you like things, right. They're going to drop a couple of likes and then they're going to drop yeah. ones you don't, but it's funny to me as a software engineer to try to figure out like, well, oh, yeah. how are they doing that? And there's articles out there. They talk a lot about it kind of at a high level, their algorithms, they use geography as a part of it and who else you Age, like. Probably. Um, right. Yeah, 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 no, but it's a, it, it's an interesting way. It's transformed the way, you know, I sell my records and in, in, in the record collection and those sort of things, but I'm, I'm on computer a lot of day and, and Spotify yeah. point, either I can pick things I know I want to listen to albums and those sort of things, or I can say, Hey, surprise me. And uh, they generally do a pretty good job. Yesterday I listened to the entire discography of the police. So I have no doubt that my, <laughs> my next week's recommendations will be all related to that. So yeah. 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 Isn't it funny how you start listening to things are like, okay, I know, I know what you're up to. Yeah. They're like, Hmm. Okay, so. Well, cool. Well, Noah, man, it's been a pleasure. I really want to yeah. thank you for taking time uh, to join our program and um, and have yourself. I hope we come out of this at some point, you know, it, I don't know, assume into this year, into next year or what have you. But My we'd God. love to get you in our office and uh, we'll find some way to uh, interject the, the creativity because I'm definitely Absolutely. inspired. You know, that's what you're doing. No, so. I, I would love to do more work with y'all and and also uh, make a big piece of art in your in your new yes. beautiful space when we can yes, all be in yes. Absolutely. I know, man. Thanks so much, man. Take care. Thank you. It was good seeing yeah. you.